morning. Well, welcome to everybody. I'm glad to be here this morning. It's been a few weeks. I've had some work obligations and whatnot, uh, so it's good to see everybody again here today. And I'm excited to, to be up here and, and give the message today. It's been a while since I've had the opportunity to do that, and I, I really I love teaching God's Word. So uh, excited to share this message with you here this morning. Uh, you know, this phrase, the fear of the Lord, it's found often throughout the, the, the Bible, both Old Testament and New. In fact, it, this phrase appears over 100 times throughout the Bible. And I think we often talk about it kind of passively or we read it and we, we've seen it so many times that we just kind of uh, pass it by sometimes, I think, uh, kind of skim over it. I think there's this idea that because, you know, we get this idea that the fear of the Lord doesn't mean fear, it means respect or, or something like that, that um, it almost kind of cheapens it a little bit, I think. Um, there's a lot that goes into this phrase, the fear of the Lord. In fact, I would suggest that our understanding and our perspective of God is related to our understanding of this phrase. Uh, this phrase, it really indicates a, a genuine and personal relationship with Jesus, who is the creator of the world, creator of the universe, but also the man who walked on earth and had normal, everyday, intimate relationships with people. So what, what does fear entail in this phrase? And I'll warn you as we go through this service, if you follow me through the Bible, we're going to you know, look at quite a few different passages today, so you'll get a little bit of a workout in your, your Bible. But um, you know, when I started thinking about this, this message, and, and I've, I've spent a lot of time in Proverbs over this past winter and spring, we went through it with our college group, uh, went through it with the teens here in Sunday school, and you just you come across this phrase a lot, especially in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord, and you start seeing that the fear of the Lord leads to a lot of different things, and then you kind of start noticing it in other places in the Bible, oh wow, the fear of the Lord leads to this and this, and so that phrase just kind of caught me, and I started really looking at it, and looking at the verses that uh, the fear of the Lord goes, you know, what, what comes after it? What comes with it? And um, I, I think there's, if you're using your study sheet at all, I have six blanks there. I think there's six different things that kind of work together to help us understand this phrase, this word, this fear of the Lord. Uh, we can't encapsulate it in a single English word, but it does involve respect. I think that's the one we kind of often think of as respect, but boy, respect in and of itself, not enough. So there's respect there, there's reverence, there's worshipful submission, obedience, fear, and awe. And there might be more, but I think those six work pretty good together To as we go through this morning. I think we're going to see these different aspects and be able to put this together and, and see that these really work together to give us a good understanding of this phrase. Because again, respect is good, not nearly enough. You know, who do we respect? What do we respect? We respect parents, right? We respect pastors and coaches and refs and teachers and police officers. And, you know, within those relationships or those uh, things, you know, there might be some 
a little bit of healthy fear along with those, right? If we have a little bit of healthy fear of our parents, that's probably a good thing, right? There's some discipline involved. Um, you know, coaches, you know, maybe a little fear of running some laps or something if we're not, not behaving or, you know, having the red and blues come on behind you when you're driving down the road. A little bit of fear there maybe. Um, so a little bit of healthy fear, good, good along with that respect. Reverence, you know, that's, what do we think about when we think of reverence? Um, you know, maybe a magnificent old church building with stained glass windows and a pipe organ or something, or, or maybe in a graveyard, right? Uh, you know, you're amongst all these dead people. You feel a kind of a sense of reverence. Um, you know, you might, might feel that with a wooden cross or, or uh, around a famous pastor or speaker or something like that. You might feel some reverence. Uh, worshipful submission. You know, I think we're there. We're getting closer. Um, you know, just take the submission part for a second. Submission is not a popular word today, is it? Um, it? Has a real negative connotation, but it's a very positive thing when it comes to submitting to God and His will, isn't it? And really, within all these different God-ordained roles and relationships, and churches, and government, and society, like there's a lot of places where God tells us to submit to different people and roles and things. And those are really positive things. Add worship into the idea of full submission to God, and we're really over ourselves, right? We're really over our own desires. Obedience says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So obedience shows it's a representation of our love for God. Fear, we're going to come back to that one in a minute. Ah, the last one here, ah. This is really a, a great one, right? Maybe as close as we can come in a single English word when you really think about ah. Like, what puts you in ah? You know, we had some really great northern light shows this spring. I remember standing outside with my wife, and we were watching one, and, you know, it was, it was great. It was crazy. It was super bright. They were dancing. It was really all over the sky. And we stood there and watched that, and, and we said, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God, right? Like we could see that. It put us in awe. You know, millions of stars on a crisp, clear night, like that can put that sense of awe, right? You know, maybe standing next to a waterfall or amongst, you know, these great mountain scenes or some of these sunsets we get to experience. Bob Johnson will appreciate this one. You know, <laughs> sitting in a, doc, a, a duck blind five minutes before legal shooting hours and you've got a thousand ducks dropping in around you, that'll put you in awe. Like it's, these, are all, um, these are all things that point to an amazing creator. A creator that loves us, that cares about us, that, like it says in Genesis 1.27, he's made us in his image. And as it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he put eternity in our hearts. Now back to fear. We have to teach an accurate, well-rounded theology of God, right? You know, I, as I was, I don't know, a few weeks back, I was listening to David Jeremiah on the radio, and I really enjoy listening to him and appreciate him. And he was talking about John 3.16 and about the love of Jesus and how he would much rather talk about, you know, the love of Jesus over the wrath or fear of God. 
and I agree, you know, the love of God is amazing. And we're going to keep coming back to that here today. But we still have to have that perspective, that balance, right? That, uh, and, and, you know, some of you were part of the last Sunday school, uh, one of the electives. They went through John 3.16 for a whole quarter. And that's, like I said, that's great. We need that. And the love of God really is what draws us. But we still have to talk about this, too, the fear and wrath of God. We have to have that well-rounded theology of him. Is he loving and merciful? Absolutely. Is he much above our thoughts and ways and beyond our understanding? There's no question about that. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13 and 14 Isaiah 40, verse 13 and 14 says, Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Who gave him his counsel? Who did he consult with? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? If those verses sound familiar, it's because we just sang them a little bit ago, right? Which, I don't know about you, but... Those songs really, if that doesn't put you in a heart of worship and a mood for this message, then there's a, you know, that's a problem. But those are really good songs to really help us reflect on who, who God is. He's all powerful. And terrifying? Is that maybe just in the Old Testament? Like sometimes we hear that, right? Like, well, the God of the Old Testament is not the God that I know. Well, let's, let's talk about that for a second, you know? Um, every time God's presence or voice or an angel showed up, people were terrified, right? We read that over and over again in Scripture. Uh, when Moses went up the mountain and God's glory was there, the people stayed away. They didn't even want to look up there. In Job 38.1, if you know the story of Job, God answered Job after this back-and-forth dialogue with his friends that went on and on. God showed up. How did he show up? He showed up in a whirlwind, in a tornado, think that wasn't terrifying? Like, can't imagine. Um, you know, obviously God used the Israelites to judge other nations. He wiped people out. Um, men, women, and children. And, and those are terrifying. Those have been terrifying days to live in. But do we think God toned it down after Jesus came? Or what about Jesus himself? Think about when Jesus cleared out the temple courts single-handedly with a whip, all these people and all these animals and things, and he went through there. Like That would have been scary to be a, a part of that. Um, or what about when, when Jesus died and the earthquakes came, darkness came during daylight, tombs split open and dead people came out? Like That's scary stuff. And have you read Revelations lately? Like there's a lot of judgment in Revelations. But yet, so I don't think God has tamed down, but now I'm going to pause for a second and put some perspective here because this sermon is going to be a lot of perspective and balance and back and forth because I think we need that to really understand, understand God and understand the fear of God. So in that same scene, that same time when Jesus died and all these scary things happened. What else happened? The veil tore, right? He opened up the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence was, 
that only one person could go once a year under certain conditions and it was terrifying, he opened that up for us to be able to have a personal relationship with him. We can be on a first name basis with Jesus. He changed everything when he came and died and rose again. Look at his name, Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us. And look at the intimate encounters that Jesus had in the Gospels with people, just like you and I. And he wants to have these intimate, close relationship with us. But yet a little healthy fear is definitely a part of this. We can't just leave the fear out of the fear of the Lord. He's not just our buddy. What happens when we leave the fear out of fear of the Lord? What happens in society? <laughs> we just got to look around and see what's happening, right? Sin is being flaunted and promoted. People are, there's no fear of the Lord in society, so what happens? Sin runs rampant. Just like Romans 1. We'll, we'll go there. You can flip to Romans 1. I'm going to just read a few verses out of this, kind of jump around a little bit. But Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Suppression of truth. Do we have that today? They want to silence truth. The media does. You know, I mean, it's just there's suppression of truth all over, just like in Romans chapter 1. Uh, verse 26 This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions, for even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The males, in the same way, also left natural relations with females and were inflamed with their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Error. That's what it is. We're going to call it what it is. Sin is error. And then on to verse 32. Although they know full well God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Deep inside people, they know there's God. They know that these acts are error, but they applaud, they promote. That's what's happening today. Same thing. That's what happens when you take fear out of fear of the Lord. How about in our churches? Not this church, I hope. I pray that that will never happen. But in many churches around America today, we have the same thing, right? We have softening. We have feminizing of Jesus. We have compromise on sin. That's what happens when you take the fear out of the fear of the Lord. Let's go to Matthew 10, chapter 10, verse 26. Matthew 10, 26, and the, the context here is Jesus is speaking, he's teaching, he's talking about persecution. Therefore, don't be afraid of them, of man, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to destroy or, but not, who are not able to kill the soul. Rather, 
Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We're to fear God, not man. doesn't matter who's in St. Paul. doesn't matter who's in Washington, D.C. It's tough having to live through that, right? I mean, to watch this promotion and a plotting of evil and probably eventually more and more trying to clamp down on what we believe and live for, right? But we're not to fear that. doesn't matter what comes. We're not to fear that. We're to fear God, the one who holds the keys to, to heaven and hell at eternity. Now, conversely, you know, again, I'm talking about perspective and balance here. Psalm 145. So although God is one to fear, Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9 We see that the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. So we could look at a hundred different verses that say these same things. But it's both true. We need to fear God. He's great. He's mighty. He's way above us. But yet he is super loving and gracious and compassionate. But on all he has made, it says. And I think we know that God hasn't changed. But we do hear that, right? Like I said, we hear that sometimes. Like, oh, the God of the Old Testament is not the God I know. We'll look at Hebrews 13.8. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. So to further drive this point home that we have to have this well-rounded and maintain a proper perspective in our understanding and view of God's character. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we'll start in verse 14. The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Down to 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So a lot of times we look at this truth and grace thing as a 50-50 thing, right? And that's how we as humans, we can't really be full of both, right? But Jesus was full of both. He was full of grace, full of truth. He had this both, you know, full, full. What happens if we get, things get ugly if we go too far either way on this, right? What happens if we go too far on the grace side? We get way too tolerant. Anything goes. We don't take stands, right? If we get too far on the true side, if we're we're too harsh, we're unforgiving, we drive people away. Jesus introduced just that right mix. Fear the Lord, I would say, fear the Lord leads to proper perspective leads to proper understanding. It leads to proper application of God in and through our mind and our lives and how we treat others. Our perspective really enlarges with this, right? It brings humility. It brings, it brings a greater desire and a greater love for him as we understand this. Let's go to Joshua. Joshua chapter 24.
Joshua 24, we're going to read starting in verse 14. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship Yahweh. But if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, choose for yourselves today the one you will worship. The gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River or the god of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. Down to 23. Then get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and offer your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So worship. We're introduced here that fear the Lord leads to worship. Who or what do you worship? We only worship gods, right? It's either going to be the one true God or it's going to be other gods we've allowed to creep into our lives. It could be activities, possessions, self, status. Any number of things. But it says, fear the Lord leads to worship. I think that's another word that we can throw around too flippantly sometimes as well. It's kind of a churchy word, right? Like, we're here to worship. Let's worship in song. Let's worship in giving. I'm hoping that when we throw those words out, that the people that are using them mean it. But I know sometimes sitting in the audience, like, that can be an easy one to just kind of, you know, not take as serious as we should. What, what does worship indicate? It indicates lordship and kingship, right? Number one. It indicates submission to a master. It indicates awe, like we talked about. Fear the Lord leads to awe. It's serious. It says in here, worship in sincerity. Worship in truth. God deserves to be number one. Let's put him there with our worship. Oswald Chambers said this, Worship is giving back to God the best He has given us. Worship is giving back to God the best He has given us. What areas of your life haven't you given Him yet? Believe me, I don't give this message because I'm there. That's not the case. I've been studying this phrase, and God has really been working on me, and I, I, I wanted to share it with all of you. I had to share it with all of you. But like this verse says in in 15, verse 15, you know, we can't make our decision for our kids whether they're going to follow the Lord or not. That's got to be theirs, but we can certainly, when they're in my house, we're going to worship the Lord. Like it says here, as much as I can decide, my family and I, we're going to, we're going to, give our, we're going to worship and follow God and offer our hearts to Him. Okay, let's go to Hebrews 12. And this one I love. This one really puts this perspective and balance that we've been talking about. The main, the main verses I want to look at are 28 and 29, but we're going to start in verse 18. I think this is worth reading. Hebrews 12:18. For you have not come to what could be touched, to blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not even bear what was commanded. And if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am terrified and trembling. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, 
to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels in festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to God who is the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, to Jesus, mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. Make sure that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they did not escape when they rejected him, who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised. Yet once more will I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So we get... It's really summing it up, right? So earlier in the passage, it refers to God in ways we don't often talk about. Gloom and storm and darkness. But then it moves into Jesus as the new covenant and of grace. But then what does it do? It ends reminding us that God is still a consuming fire. He hasn't changed. We have a new covenant. We have grace. We have God's love. We have Jesus, this intimate, personal relationship but God is still a judge and a consuming fire. And it reminds us that we need to be in awe of him and serve him. So next I want to just go over to Proverbs. Just, I want to look at just a few specific examples of this fear of the Lord. Like I said, there's so many of these in Proverbs, but there's a few that I think are really worth looking at here that again, just kind of help build on this idea of the fear of the Lord being our perspective, our relationship with Him. So we're going to start in Proverbs 1, verse 7. And this is the introduction to Proverbs. The first seven verses tell us why Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. It gives us the, the purpose of it. And in verse 7 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom and understanding. We can't have wisdom and understanding without the fear of the Lord. That's what it says here. This awe, this submission, this relationship with the Lord. Again, the fear of the Lord, it indicates a genuine personal relationship. That makes sense then, right? Why can't we have understanding and wisdom if we don't have, we don't, if we don't have a relationship with Him? We're not going to have that. We're not going to have understanding. We're not going to have knowledge. If you're lacking spiritual discernment, fear the Lord. You know, I don't want to take a, Go off on, I'll go on a 30-second rabbit trail. Over the last three years or so, whatever, it just seems like, there, you know, between a lot of the current events, between a lot of this sin that is becoming so widely pushed and accepted, and I'm not saying necessarily here, or, but 
just seems like there's been so many people that are churchgoers, that are supposed to be Christians, that's like, where's the spiritual discernment on this stuff? You know, the gender stuff or, you know, different, different events, things that have happened over the last few years. And, and again, this, so check yourself. If you're lacking in spiritual discernment, we've got to make sure there's a fear, there's a relationship with the Lord here. Let's go to chapter 8, verse 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate arrogant pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. Hating evil, hating what God hates. And you know, we get this. You know, Paul, he talks about in one of his letters how he does the things that he doesn't want to do and he doesn't do the things he wants to do and there's this battle. Like We all experience this, right? Like There's times where I'm way too accepting or inviting of sin in my life. But if we have this proper perspective of the Lord, this fear of the Lord, we're going to hate what he hates. We're going to hate evil. And I think part of that is standing up against evil. Christian brought this up in our, our Sunday school class this, this morning. It's not hating people, right? It's not hating what... But it's, it's standing up against some of the sin. There's times we need to take a stand... What does it say? It says the devil roars, roams around like a roaring lion seeking who, people he can devour, right? He's looking for people who are not going to take a stand. He's looking for weakness, people who aren't hating evil. That's how we're going to get devoured. Keep your finger in Proverbs. Go to Job 28.28. This, this sums up these first two verses in Proverbs super well. Job 28, 28. In one verse, he puts these two ideas together. Said He said to mankind, the fear of the Lord is this, wisdom, and to turn from evil is understanding. So he puts these two ideas together. Fear of the Lord being understanding and wisdom and also turning from evil. And then the last one I want to look at in Proverbs here, Proverbs 10.27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Obviously eternity, right? Like that makes sense. But I don't think this is just talking about eternity. I think this is talking about here and now in this life. Obviously there's no guarantee People die young, people die in accidents, people die in sicknesses, but the principles here, and if you study Proverbs, like I've been studying Proverbs, there's so many things in this book. It talks about kind, pleasant words being health for our body. I believe that. That's literal. Our words matter in our health. Our, if we're not going to be stressed out and we're going to trust the Lord, that's going to make a difference in our health, right? That's going to make a difference in our, our, our life. It's going to extend it, likely. What we put into them, what we eat, what we drink, like all this stuff, it's very practical. It's talked about throughout the book of Proverbs that these things, you know, really the fear of the Lord should make a difference in all areas of our life, right? If we have a proper perspective of, of the Lord, if we have a relationship with Him, it should affect all areas of our life. 
And as this says, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. Like, chances are we're going to experience God's blessing here and now if we are following him. So for the conclusion, uh, let's go one book over to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Again, the main verses I want to talk about are the last two, but I'm going to start in verse 9 because I think it says something important. In addition to the teacher being a wise man, and again, this is written by Solomon, the wisest man that the earth has ever seen, has ever known. In addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like goads, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd, Jesus Christ. So it's written down by Solomon, but this is just like the rest of the Bible, from God. But beyond these, my son, be warned, there is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. Now here, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. He says, follow Christ and serve him. What we do now matters for all eternity. What we do here on this earth Matters for all eternity. We're going to be judged. Judgment is coming. That gloom, that storm, that whirlwind, that consuming fire. But for those of us who have submitted, who fear and obey, we don't have to be afraid. We just need to be reminded every now and again like Job. If you think back to the very beginning of that story of Job, it says that Job was unlike any other man. He followed God, he was righteous, and he feared the Lord. It says that in chapter 1 of Job. He says he feared the Lord. But yet God came to him in a whirlwind. It was like he needed to be reminded. He needed to keep that perspective and understanding of God that he is much higher, mightier, and more just than us. And to honor him. So let's do the same. Let's honor God. Let's love Jesus. Let's keep him number one. And I promise this is the very last thing, but this one, this came after I had sent in my my study sheet. I was listening to Francis Chan the other day, and he was talking about the fear of the Lord. And Isaiah 33, verse 6 came up. And he was just talking about how, you know, he talks a lot about the fear of the Lord. And he's kind of known for fear, fear of the Lord, fearing the Lord. And he's like, I was trying to figure out, like, why do I love the fear of the Lord so much? And then he came across this verse in Isaiah 33, verse 6, the last part of it. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. It's a treasure. The fear of the Lord can be our treasure. Like, are we really treasuring that relationship, that perspective of God being much higher, but also so loving, and wanting to have that personal relationship with us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this treasure. I just pray that if anybody's in here 
that has not experienced a personal relationship with Christ, that doesn't know this treasure and have it personally, that they would find that, that they would come to know you. I pray that for us as believers that we would really keep this proper perspective and balance. We can't be all about your wrath and we can't be all about uh, your judgment, but we can't leave that out either. We do have to be all about your love, but again, we have to keep that proper perspective and balance. And I just ask, Lord, I just, I love you. I love this concept, this idea, this fear of the Lord and what it all entails. And I just pray that it would be our treasure. Pray these things in your name.